Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, yeah, good morning. Um, I'll let you say your name. Hi, I'm Yelena. And you're on Instagram, we find you as Obshulak. Oblutak. Oblutak. Yeah, that's the sort of a a trade name I used to have during lockdown when I was uh, producing and selling. But it's actually Yelena Belgrave on Instagram. Ah, okay. Yeah. And because your last name is Belgrave? That's right. Yeah, Yelena Belgrave from Belgrade. Ah, okay. So it's a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) Or not. There was one time when um, my husband was flying from Belgrade and then they um, uh, they just put a wrong, uh, they put his surname as Belgrade and he was going from Belgrade and it's just a whole confusion. <laughs> and he, well, it happened once, so I guess we're lucky. Yeah. And, it, and it's a name, it was your family name? It's my husband's family name. Oh, so I, I took the husband's family name after marrying him. Yeah. And he's from Serbia? Or? He is a Londoner. I'm going to serve you some other spot because I just think, let's see what happens with that. Can you, can you talk us through this? Sorry, yeah, so well, I was waiting for you for breakfast, really, and these are <laughs> um, fed the kids, fed mum, fed husband, and then um, I had some leftover pancakes. They're the crepe type pancakes that mum made last night for kids. So I stuffed them with kaimak. Kaimak is a traditional Serbian dairy. Uh, food, which is, it's stuffed with kaimak and with um, walnuts. It smells amazing. And then it's topped with this cultured cream, so I made butter with koji cultured cream um, using chestnut uh, shio koji, which is, I don't know how hot it is. Mm. (laughs) And then um, that butter then I just mixed with lots of um, fresh uh, wild garlic. So I froze some to have you know, at some point in November, December. But um, this, let me show you what fresh kaimak looks like because I'm very, very happy that you're here when I have this little goodness. And this, so your, your mother's brought this from? From Belgrade. She arrived two days ago. So this is what it looks like, and you can use your... I'll put it next to you. Um, well, it's like folded. 
folded curdled cream basically so you would cook 6 10 20 liters of milk in a very wide pan and then leave it overnight to cool down naturally so you don't sort of shock freeze it or, or, or shock cool it down just leave it slowly to coagulate and it's the scrum at the top that forms but basically all the it, you know I'm not um, a technologist of food, so I don't understand the science behind it completely, but what I do know is that, that the fat sort of rises at the top, so that the sort of double cream curdles and creates this little scrum that you gently scoop off. So you can have very young kaimak, which is this, which is just a few days old, and it doesn't last very long, you don't salt it um, too much. Or you can have old kaimak, which they keep in wooden, narrow barrels that resemble those butter churning oh, wow. wooden barrels, things, and they sold that heavily. So that's something like between 8, 10, I mean, even, maybe even higher. So it's not fermented per se, but young kaimak you have to eat very quickly, and it's very obvious when it starts going downhill and, you know, attracts molds very easily. But the, the old kaimak is, it's so salty that, that it can actually keep for much longer. Oh, wow. And it's very different flavor to what you're eating right now. It's amazing. It's like it's like butter. <laughs> and kind of baby with like um, clotted cream type of things. I know yeah. people have um, from the Balkans who live in the UK have tried to make, you know, you need a lot of milk and that's like full fat milk to um, and a very wide pan as well to kind of cool it all down. Um, they've been trying to use clotted cream to make it, and you just can't get that taste. It's not and, the same. No, and most turkey shops, um, Middle Eastern shops that sell kaimak, it's more like clotted cream than it is this. It's got it's it's got this almost like citrusy taste as well. Yes, yes, oh, fresh, that's amazing. and then that changes. So. Mm. And sorry, you said this is chestnut koji. So. I made chestnut chia koji. I finally found, let me bring you that jar. I found a much easier way to peel chestnuts. None of the roasting pilava. <laughs> um, that is really annoying and damages your nails. <laughs> but um, you kind of take a chestnut and then you score it lengthwise okay. on one side and you flash boil it for three, four, five minutes. And then at the same time, you have a pan that is heated up, just dry pan that has a lid on. And you scoop those chestnuts out of the water after so many minutes and then put a lid on. And that steam that they, in that hot pan, produce, opens them up. And they're much oh, easier they just explode to, out of the yes. shells. And so I was just like, finally have a method um, after years of really troubling myself with that. So this is the fresh chestnut, shiokoji. So give it a go. I don't think I... Um, it's still a bit grainy, but it has changed. Wow. <laughs> it's changed. It's not as sweet as you would expect it to be. It's really deep, yeah. yeah. Mm. So use that to culture just some fresh double cream. So you grew the koji on rice? On rice. And then you... Mix that with chestnuts, with chestnuts and water and salt. That's right. Wow. And then left it at... Um, I sometimes, when I can't wait, I do the Amazaki method for shiokoji, which is something that I learned from Ken from Cultures Group. 
Okay. He did a demo once, um, which I thought was like, oh, really interesting. Overnight and in the morning you have your shea koji that doesn't have the yeasty flavor as much. So the enzymes are still there. You still keep it at like 50, 357 um, Celsius. Um, but it's got the depth and it's got the sweetness of koji still. I mean, I still do shea koji, you know, mm. aerobically, um, room temperature for days, and it just develops in a different way. But there's something about doing the Amazaki method that it's, it's quite nice mm. and quick. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so this was a regular method, I think, just regular. And, um, and then use that to culture double cream. And I think it's just stunning. Oh. You know, your own butter with, within two days of leaving that to culture at room temperature. And then you churn your butter and then you have the best butter milk ever. It's so good. Let me try before. Yeah, no, please, please eat. <laughs> you don't eat mm. breakfast. You're lucky our house smelled of um, black garlic for the whole week. My mum was a bit appalled. <laughs> You've been making black garlic in um, a rice mm. cooker? Oh, uh, wow. Mm. Amazing. This was the best investment, actually, because the slow cooker, rice cooker, just dries too quickly, keeping the moisture in with all the precautions. And you know, I try to avoid using a lot of plastic wrap, but um, this was nice. I mean, I just get presents for birthdays and Christmas that relate to food nowadays, which I'm sure you understand. <laughs> yeah, and they just came up with this machine that um, varies temperature over however many days you can choose between six days, 12 days maximum, I think. It's actually called black garlic. Oh, it's fermenter. actually not a rice cooker, yes. No. It's a black garlic fermenter. Mm. And it starts off at like temperature in the 70s, and day three it lowers it to like 50s and plays with temperature somehow. And this is the this is the what you end up with. I'm going to surround you <laughs> But there's a, I mean this reminds me of jail. Um Right, so we've got like, um, it's almost like a cage that you put all of your garlic inside mm -hmm. and then you you put them into your, what looks like a rice cooker and so it's keeping them at, you said it's going up to, is it 60 degrees? 70s. 70s. Even to 70s, but it drops and changes temperature throughout the cycle to accommodate temperature changes for the day, days, number of days that you've chosen to do it. Okay. So when garlic is that small... Um, I've learned my lesson not to keep them in there for too long, but choose like six, seven day period. Okay. And when the garlic is, the garlic bulbs are bigger, then obviously they can withstand longer sort of reaction period. And they're, they're really lovely. They're just really jammy and I put some in our pancakes. It's incredible. Um, and so that's... When you're making black garlic, you are not you're not adding anything. There's no salt. There's no. You're just literally a gar garlic bowl, mm -hmm. and then holding it at that temperature for for a week, and mm. the whole the inside just goes just caramelizes. Yes, just my hard reaction all along. Mm. I mean, you're even with this specialist black garlic fermenter, even though it's not a ferment fermentation per se. Um, it really stinks your house up. <laughs> it really goes absolutely everywhere, even with closed um, doors and everything. And um, 
Do you have arguments with your husband about it? Well, we do. <laughs> I think there's a lot of compromise to be had when it comes to fermentation, especially if the other person is not necessarily that much into it or doesn't like it, is not a foodie, and eats generally to keep themselves alive, which is the case for my husband, which is, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that, but um, he doesn't really um, get the food the way I do, mm -hmm. and he's not as passionate about it. So um, there was one Christmas when Christmas turkey couldn't really fit into our family fridge, this one, and from all my jars, and that's when I got like a little wine fridge type of thing to start keeping my ferments in, and then eventually in lockdown had to um, buy the regular size fridge. <laughs> um, but there's a lot there's a lot of compromises to be had and and especially that um, when it comes to smells I learned I don't open or burp jars when kids are around. Um, they're used to it's so funny because they're used to um, whether it's black garlic or or kimchi, they're used to those smells now. But having somebody new, for instance, like my mum, who arrived two days ago, for her, all these smells are very new. Yeah. So the way we ferment in Serbia, where I'm from, where fermentation is, do you like that? That's great. What is that? This is water kimchi. Um, it's donchimi um, that just uses a lot of briny. You don't use gochugaru in it. You use gochugaru just for colour. And this is the radish and Chinese leaf and lots of spring onions. And it's a palate cleanser, and I think they um, they eat it either in spring or they eat it before their festivities in winter. Mm. So good. <laughs> Just a little palate cleanser. Yes, so um, in Serbia, people still preserve food, um, not just through canning and using other fermentation methods, salting, but also fermentation um, methods are very alive, but they... They ferment just um, at the end of summer and beginning of autumn. That's the period when they would conserve what it, uh, whatever abundance they have. Um, people in urban areas, I'm sad to say, less and less do it themselves, but they have abundance of, like, similar to farmer's markets we have here, you have piazza, piazza would be like a big green market that is uncovered, and you have stand after stand of people selling their produce, and you have them in all towns, and even smaller cities, so you would have a part for your veg and fruit, then there would be a dairy building where you could buy kaimak or soft curdle, um, curd cheese, so we tend to, cheeses in Serbia tend to be very soft, feta-like or, or not so salty, um, and then you would have um, dried meats section, um, now I'm vegetarian, so I can't really help you with that. Older, I might have something in the freezer for you to try in <laughs> Um So uh, those places, those markets are s still very sort of old-fashioned. And currently, actually, people are protesting because the government wants to introduce um, <clears throat> paying um, some kind of cash registers where they can keep a track on them because it's always been cash in hand. Oh, right, okay. Um, and they want and to tax them. They want to tax them and people are on the streets because you are going to exclude a large group of people who have been trading like that for decades. And yeah. this is what they know. But not just that. You form a relationship with sellers. You have your favourite Kaimak seller. 
will always throw in something extra for you, you know, or you have your favorite apple or cucumber salad. You know where you're going. Everybody's got their own little favorites. Yeah. So this is going to, in a way, damage relationships because they, they won't be freebies for kids. You know, they, they won't be able to just kind of say, and, and you take this kilo of, I don't know, pears or plums home with you um, because of that. And I really hope they, they, they win the battle because it's ludicrous yeah. trying to change the system like that. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we ferment in, um, in autumn, uh, late summer, where produce is at its best, and it's lacto-fermentation that is the main thing in the Balkans, as well as alcohol fermentation, but I think you have alcohol fermentation all around the world, <laughs> <laughs> regardless of other methods. You have the same tradition, similar to Romania, and like, um, That's right. remind me the name of the alcohol. Uh, rakia. Rakia. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you make it with plums or? With plums, absolutely. Plums are the main source, but also with quince, with honey, um, any fruit, apple as well, um, any fruit that is, is abundant in, in Serbia, they, they can turn it into alcohol. Yeah. 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 And they can be lethal stuff. I mean, some of them are very medicinal as well. I remember getting um, high temperature when I was small and mum would rub raki on our bodies to take the temperature down. I don't think that's recommended <laughs> way of doing it now because of alcoholic vapors and you can really get yeah, your yeah. child drunk. But it's, you know, it's, it's, I have that memory of, of bedding smelling of rakia. Um, and some of them are very strong. They use a lot of herbs as well, you know, to put in, in, in alcoholic um, concoctions. So, Oh, so totally it's, it's like ancient medicine. Yeah, always has been. Yeah, yeah. You know, start your day with a shot of rakia and then sometime later have some brine to repopulate your gut. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. um, when I was in um, Belgrade, I remember that wherever we ate, they had this amazing, it was like a fermented chili sauce, mm -hmm. or maybe it was a fermented tomato sauce. Mm, is it Ivar? Possibly. Let's, let's get some that up. <laughs> Honestly, you're lucky. Mum has, has come she's, with all of her. She's come and restocked your mm, whole... Absolutely. Um, I just I remember eating lots of like meat and pancakes and fermented tomato. Mm. I mean, it's, it's hard being vegetarian in Serbia. <laughs> but you can always rely on condiments like Ivar and Kaimak. And so this is... It's not really wow, yeah, super yeah, hot. Yeah, yeah. But these are the type of peppers um, that are um, that you can normally find in some parts of Serbia, not all of them. But the the type of pepper loosely translated means um, condom. <laughs> they're rubbery. They're, it's the texture, like there's something about them. They're a bit squeaky and a bit rubbery and very yeah. meaty. And so to make the condiment, Ivar, it's it's very laborious. You need to roast them on really on an open flame or on griddle and um, then you have to hand heal them and then there are different methods from then onwards. One method is that you um, literally by your hands you should never ever use the food processes to do something like this because it emulsifies in a different way. Okay. You, the end product is very different. So you can, one method is to you kind of take a pepper and then um, try to um, um, turn it into little strings with your hands so like you're pulling little strings of it and then you emulsify them in lots of sunflower oil 
of two hours. Ideally, you would have like a wood-burning stove somewhere outside because it's very smoky and you have absolutely huge wooden spoon to do that with. And um, um, it's, it's just traditionally what's done, what people do together. It's not a job for one person. Like fermentation has never been a job for one person. No. Because when, you, when you're putting cabbage, for instance, for sarma, and uh, that's when you ferment whole cabbage heads, you get the cabbage, you scoop out the heart, the, the, the root, yeah, and you fill it with salt. And then um, you have a barrel of like, what, 150 litre barrel, um, where you put cabbage after cabbage and then pour water over it. They're very liberal with salt. There's none of this, oh, it needs to be 2% or oh, it needs to be 5%. <laughs> Um, also, Serbia's landlocked, so you can't really find salt without added iodine. Oh, really? It's illegal to sell it because people need it in their diet because they don't have access to fresh seafood. Right. So, it still ferments, you know. We always, as ed uh, fermentation educators, talk about importance of don't use iodine salt and don't use a salt with anti-caking agents, but actually... still it works. still works. It, it is antimicrobial, but it still works. It still ferments the cabbages. The microbes still win. <laughs> Absolutely. The microbes are like, we're not really that picky. Wow, so you've got these 150-litre oak barrels. They will. I think a lot of people has moved to plastic. Okay. Food-grade plastic. It's oak barrels tend to be kept for alcohol. Yeah, and people don't necessarily enjoy the or, or just think they don't think of the the connoisseurs, especially in alcoholic fermentations. They know the the value of having a wood barrel. Right. But for lacto fermentation, I think people mostly use uh, plastic barrels now. And um, I mentioned that you said that you can still find people who uh, do it in Belgrade. They they might have like a little balcony, people live in flats, they don't really live in ho um, houses as such, houses are very expensive, <laughs> um, so mostly live in flats and they would put their barrel on their balcony and come autumn, November, you know, staircases um, oh, that wow. you share with your neighbours smell of, of <laughs> sauerkraut. So, so the whole building the would whole be building like... Would be, you can tell <laughs> who's been putting their cabbage in, yes. Oh, amazing. So my brother has been trying to persuade my mum to um, get a barrel um, because we live in central Belgrade. And mum, of course, we all eat cabbage. It's something that you never question because it was there from, I don't know, maybe September, October, and then all the way through Hungry Gap and with spring and new fruit and veg, yeah. you have eaten all your cabbage supplies. Um, you keep them in their barrels and then for every meal you're going to have some. You take a, whether it's shredded cabbage, um, shredded sauerkraut, or you take a, if you just put whole cabbage heads, you would shred it, put a bit of sunflower oil, some smoked paprika, Hungarian paprika, and then serve it, regardless of what other things you have in mind. It's just there. It's a condiment. Yeah. So you get used to seeing it every day. This fla the flavor of this, you said it's called ajbar. It's Ivar. 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 Mm. It's so, it's so unique. It's like really, it's like red pepper paste, but it's so much better. It's like mm. sweetness and it's got so much depth to it. Mm. The, the Hungarian paprika, is that a, a traditional thing that just the Hungarians do or 
In Serbia as well? It's... I think they do it in Serbia as well, and we just call it um, Aleva Paprika. And I think for the Western audiences, that's what they know it as, um, yeah. as Hungarian Paprika. Okay. So it's those peppers are often sun-dried um, um, and then blitzed into um, a spice. Yeah, yeah. So it's the way of you sort of producing it. There, I mean, the region is so rich in food traditions, and especially for the Balkans, that's been, I've got to mention this, it's, we've been under Ottoman Empire for 500 years, so you, we have this kind of Levant influences. Yeah. Um, there's also the, we were on a border um, with Austro-Hungarian Empire as well, so you have their influences. So you see that kind of dichotomy between, in cakes, for instance, um, you know, very refined, if you ever went to Budapest or Vienna, their cakes are very refined and they almost use rulers and yeah, yeah. they are like built in layers and beautifully presented. And then you have the Levantine sort of cuisine, the Turkish cuisine, and you have baklava. And it's, you know, none of the kind of the rigidness architecture of cake making that you would have in uh, from Austro-Hungarian Empire, but you, they are very rich in syrups and yeah, yeah. they drip and you, it's very tactile the way you eat them. None of this with you know, your cutlery that you would eat, how you would eat, like, cakes from Vienna. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're very, um, they're like doctors with their cakes. Very much so, very much so. <laughs> no, I couldn't, I couldn't believe the, the history. We were in a castle in, in Belgrade, and mm-hmm. um, one of the tour guides, they were telling us that hundreds of millions of people had died defending defending or attacking Belgrade just as it changed hands between mm-hmm. the Austro-Hungarians and the Ottomans. And That's right, yeah. Uh, it's just that, that focal point of, mm-hmm. is it the, Dan- the Danube? Danube and Sava, that's right. And it's, it's, that's where the border was. So one part of Belgrade called Zemun, nowadays that was in Austro-Hungarian Empire and the other one was Turkish. And it's, it's fascinating how you know, people traded down that river. Imagine that sort of North London is... Austro-Hungarian and South London is Turkish. That would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Wow, and so you get this really diverse food tradition mm. because of that. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's not as well documented as... When I try to do a bit of digging to see about history of fermentation in the Balkans, and it's mainly stories and anecdotes. And there, there was this moment when I realised my mum had... Um, something in her fridge I didn't recognise and it was lacto-fermented red pepper paste. Never seen before. I never heard about it. It's used as, um, it would be literally lacto-fermented pepper mash. Um, not necessarily anything else added, but I always now add my garlic because I can't live without garlic. But it's used as a base for stews. So, oh, really? So for braises. Um, or for veggie stews with green beans, for instance. So it imparts um, a slight sour note that you wouldn't normally have. Peppers are so sweet. So I started doing it. It's a wonderful, simple thing that you just need to have in your fridge. And just once you brown your onions and garlic, you add a couple of tablespoons of that. And then you add your green beans and a bit of veg stock and you slowly cook it. And it's really yummy. It changes the whole dish if it's lacto-fermented. Really? Mm. And it's just, it's just you roast the red peppers and then you lacto-ferment them? No, just um, straight, but you could add roasted peppers at the moment when you're blitzing everything. Yeah. Because you can either leave the peppers um, uh, intact when you're fermenting them, or you can make a mash 
and then add rose peppers to that as well. Yeah. If you want to. I mean, that would just open feast for microbes, wouldn't it? The rose <laughs> need to just become sweeter. Yeah, but no, so, I, I, need to, I need to try that because normally I'm adding ferments at the end to try and keep them alive. Mm. But I've, mm. I've seen people adding them at the beginning as well for... Yes, the, for flavour. Yeah, for the foundations. Mm. I mean, it depends what you want to do with it, isn't it? It's that. I mean, you can make hive out of fermented as well. But it's it's the what is it that you're chasing? So you could potentially lacto-ferment your peppers um, and then try to blitz them. You couldn't roast them, but you can mix them with some roasted ones and then um, fry them in that sunflower oil to emulsify them. Um, you would get the sour notes from lacto-fermented peppers and that yeah. would change. Um, the, the overall flavour. It wouldn't be Ivar as we know it, because Ivar per se is not fermented. Um, it's not fermented, it's just a condiment, but yeah. you could ferment it and um, kill all the microbes while you're emulsifying it in oil, but you still, it's what, what is it that you're chasing? Is it the flavour profile or is it that you want the microbes to be there? It's You can tweak it the way yeah, yeah. you want. Yeah. What's, um, what's this behind us? Is this rhubarb? Oh no, that's the water kimchi. So that's the water kimchi, yes. That's the water kimchi with yeah, and carrots and stuff, isn't it? It's a lovely colour. It's beautiful, yeah. It yeah. looks like poached poached rhubarb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean in cocktail that could do wonders. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um behind it you have do you make your own yogurt? Is that That's uh, that's my goat's kefir. Oh wow. The kefir is is the staple. It's, um, yeah, I, I think I have the same grains I had when I started making kefir several years ago. Um, and they just keep multiplying. And it's funny how my family is divided. Nobody's the same. And lockdown has exacerbated that. That's the word. Um, suddenly, you know, we were eating all at home, like 20 snacks and five main meals and everybody just wanted something different and it's exhausting it yeah. became really taxing um not that i was the only one cooking my husband takes part in it as well but it's really exhausting when everybody wants something different but ferments are there like my older son really enjoys kefir my old my younger son would never try kefir but would eat kefir in ice lollies so but he prefers kombucha or water kefir sometimes and so we all kind of have our own liquid ferments that we enjoy, as well as, as the other ones um, that are not so liquid. Oh, I should try this. This is the wild garlic, two-year-old wild garlic. Two years? Yes. I, it's almost like an experiment. I would love you to tell me if you can taste umami, because I could be imagining it. <laughs> um, glutamic acid. So you've this is wild garlic and you've you brined it or you've just mm. added a bit of salt to it. I have two different methods depending on how much time I have, but um, I prefer not to squash the leaves to keep them intact. So I would salt them and then put something heavy on them overnight to release brine. Mm -hmm. I'm not adverse to even topping them with a little bit of three percent brine if I have to if I do that method. And then the other one is the dry salting method with squishing a lot and. Um, until it releases its own juices. But can you, is it, does it have a moment? It's certainly got a really round flavour, yeah. It's weird. I mean, it's it's still, um, it's still very much alive, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, sorry. No, it's, 
it's so it's so mellow it's like um garlic but on on holiday yeah but compared <laughs> to for instance this um two week old one and i i do i i think i, I can taste the i can taste some mommy in it try the the young two week old <laughs> the baby one so this one this is wild garlic you found locally yes i have a little and I think we are really blessed in London. It's easy to check with councils whether they're using any pesticides um, and check how they look after the land. Um, there's a local park that has little woodland there. It's tiny, absolutely tiny. Kids love to make like tents in there with um, branches and stuff, but it has a little wild garlic patch. Um, that was the most abundant first lockdown in 2020. It was insane. It really? looked, but it's a tiny little woodland, really, really small. Um, but people know about it, and everybody seems to be very careful how they pick it. There's always enough, it seems like it, because there's a lot that sort of rots back into the ground. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's amazing the difference. Because th this one, the young one, is so like punchy, mm. it's quite aggressive. You still have the wild garlic. Mm. Yeah, whereas this is so developed, so nuanced. Mm. I don't think you're wrong. I definitely, I don't know how how to um, articulate whether it's got, you know, glutamic acid or, but it, it certainly tastes like it's so so developed. Mm. Mm. It's a marvelous ingredient. I just love that <laughs> <laughs> that we we have access to it. I think even. In urban areas like where I live in South East London, it's you can you don't have to go to Kent to find woodland. You can just find it. I know people have been. Um, a friend of mine has been mapping in lockdown uh, various fruit trees for for foragers, and I, people do these things, and you can find information online. Um, there was even part of that DNA exhibition on food. They had some maps, including Brixton. I remember. Um, that had a map with different sort of fruit trees and mulberries and oh, really? you know, mirabels and green gauges and this and that and it's we actually are surrounded by food if you know what you're looking for yeah yeah um, you, you can include them in your comments which I find fascinating there's one project which nowhere near done but I'm currently doing some um, different starters so this is the the Japanese cherry um, I want to make like a wild this is, starter. This looks like cherry blossom. That's right. The, I want to make it like a this oh. It's alive. It's alive. <laughs> Why don't you have the honor of trying it? Because I, I think it needs a few more days. Um, is it sweet? It's so floral, yeah. It's so floral and sweet. So have you put sugar in there? Uh, a tablespoon of sugar, water, and then the petals. Um, Picked on a sunny day. <laughs> it has to be I, a sunny day. It's got to be. I think when it comes to wild yeast, you really need, you can't pick them after rain. Like you no, would never no. pick up elderflowers after rain. You really want the pollen count to be high. Yeah. And the best is, depends. Some people say first thing in the morning. Some people say midday when the full blazing sunshine. So pick your moment. Okay. And <laughs> So you've picked your uh, cherry blossom. Yeah. yeah. And on a sunny day, then you put it in water with, with a tablespoon of sugar. And there's not much water. There is water like about 50 ml here, 30 ml maybe, um, and a handful of blossoms. 
and um, anaerobically doing it to get the yeast to consume that sugar to turn it a bit uh, into a starter that I can use potentially for. Um, oh, this is. This one's speaking to us. And now it stopped. That's <laughs> another one. So what? it's just um, making like a wild yeast starter. But these are um, dandelion flowers with some pears. Fed the pears to the kids. <laughs> the cores went in there with water and again I add a tablespoon of sugar even though you don't have to and then since then I've this has been going on maybe five days you can see there's no label I normally That's okay. most of the time I'm okay. don't forgive it. but sometimes like we all we don't yeah we don't really keep track and then you're like how long has this been going on for um but it is alive so I added since then um a couple of apple cores as well so this is going to be turned into vinegar I really want it to be a dandelion flower vinegar Oh. Because the floral vinegars are awesome, and I need to get you to try something else. Um, I might need a little um, help <laughs> at accessing stuff, but um, not only do I have a fridge, I, I do claim all sorts of things in here. And you are, um, there's different moromis and. Um, Pow's leftover. Pow, I need your tofuru. Any chance <laughs> to get some? Um, so if you can grab the jasmine in the corner, yeah. and grab the next one should be also linden vinegar. Okay, right. Let's let's try the jasmine. So jasmine flowers, my neighbour on the road. She um, just gave me a handful. I can't remember for the life of me the method, but you can see it's very, we had a mother and it's still growing some things. Maybe we put it away from the microphone. Um, there's something about floral vinegars that are very, let me try it. They're very subtle. Wow. Yeah, it's so delicate. It's. And you've made this in the same way that you made the cherry blossom. The, uh, the cherry, yes, I think so. But you, I can't. You know, I. I too I, many experiments. I, too many experiments, and just like with labels, sometimes I'm good at keeping writing down methods. Sometimes I'm not. Um, it's you can you can dip in if you mm. want. No, 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 okay. that's, that's that's amazing. And I think this is the linden one. There is, they they're just they don't have the robust. Um, acetic flavor of of cider vinegars. Yeah, yeah. They're very. They can be very delicate. Yet, you know, for mothers, they go through the whole process. You of course have to make alcohol first, and then I feel this is smell this. The actually, this actually doesn't have a label, but it should. Hmm. Let's find out what this is. But um. This is Linden. Wow. That's so good. So it's got still this, that sweetness of Linden. Linden is one of our favorite trees, and they're actually coming. They're aw awakening at the moment. And with Linden um, trees, what's, what I find fascinating is that their young leaves are edible, and so they're flowers. So we, in the Balkans, we dry the flowers for the for teas, but young leaves you can lacto ferment like you would, for instance, um, 
um, vine leaves for dolma, for sarma. Oh, right, so you okay. can just salt them and like to ferment them and then use them to make you your little things. Yeah. Oh, so you could put rice or meat or, like. or any kind of um, walnut type of chestnut mixture with rice and then just cook them in some nice sauce and there you are. So I'm going to try that. Yeah, so floral things are amazing. I need to try I need to go deeper into vinegar. I don't, I haven't gone very far. Um, well, like with everything, like look where your koji has got you, you know, you, um, and I think it, it, it's that we are all obsessives. Um, I'm sure uh, in our fermentation community, we, um, I think it's good karma. <laughs> you, you kind of, you start playing and there's no end to it. And things that are around us that, look what you've done with koji, it's insane, especially taking down um, fast food chains <laughs> and showing them how it can be done more beautifully. It's the same with, you know, vinegars. I am such a novice when it comes to that. I don't have, you know, bricks meter and I, I, I use my senses and, you know, my pH calibration scares the hell out of me. <laughs> um, it's, it's using my senses um, to try and forge where something has got to and where it's at and what it might need. I, I, I know my theory of what making vinegar needs to have and making alcohol from it and then turning it into vinegar and, you know, temperatures. I mean, yes, I have kombuchas in my bedroom that were right next to radiator because German kombuchas need particular temperatures and it was freezing in this kitchen and it's still freezing and we're, like, we're having a nice 17 degree day, but it's still really, really freezing. But, um, there's stuff that, um, yeah, you can do with vinegars that are marvellous. And some also utter failures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, my, my biggest failure, I think I was making, I was trying to make alcohol with Krispy Kreme's donuts. <laughs> but there was, right. there was too much fat. <laughs> and it just, it was smelt. I can imagine. It yeah. smelled disgusting, yeah. Yeah. But first question is like, how come you had any leftover Krispy Kreme donuts? <laughs> and second, like, why? Why not put it into miso? Which I'm sure you have. Yeah, yeah. So vinegars are uh, right now. It's 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 such a good time to do just experiment with all these flowers coming into bloom and um, greens, whether it's uh, garlic mustard or wild garlic or nettle or dandelion and sort of try to weave them in your fermentation. I have to try this. This is preserved blood orange skin pepper tamari. That's the Noma pepper tamari. Uh, the okay. one that they use there, already made tamari, and then they roasted some peppers and mixed them with juices and, and things. Do you need more cutlery? <laughs> We're going to fill the dishwasher with cutlery. That's okay. Let me take them all out. <laughs> so you'll be in charge of all the spoon here and then they, are, they were the blood orange skins that were long forgotten in the back of the fridge that um, were preserved with lots of spices like cardamom and um, aniseed and fennel seeds and things like that and after I don't know two years they what, what, am I, what was I going to do with that? 
I, before that, discovered that when you blend preserved lemons with some kojified garlic, so it's just garlic koji salt, treated like a, a short-term miso, two months, um, mix that with maple syrup and extra virgin olive oil. So this is what came first, and then followed by the preserved blood orange skins. Um, and this changed my life, like all the feminist people. Wow. <laughs> So wow. it's actually still when you open the the sorry the tell chai, me tell me the ingredients of this one. So more time. it was preserved lemons that I preserved regular lemons. Um, I don't know how they how old they were eight months nine months a year whatever they were. Um, that I'm the whole lemon making sure there are no pips inside in blender with a couple of tablespoons of kojified garlic or you can put fresh garlic or or even if you have some confit garlic would go great some extra virgin olive oil and maple syrup and then blitzed, adding some of the liquid from preserved lemon jar. And it's so zingy and it's on any kind of chili, um, cooked chili or any kind of soup, just lines it up. It's, it's like, um, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, it's like... Um, Creme, creme fraiche preserved lemon. <laughs> but <laughs> It's got that consistency. It is almost spreadable. Um, it's a bit more liquid now, but when you um, when you first do it and you leave it in the fridge for a day or two, it really settles and it can it, it can be it's spreadable. Yeah. You know, you can um, when we had our um, meeting at Pau's for amino sauces uh, tasters, uh, Pau actually put I gave her jar, she put it with avocados. Or guacamole so she uses it like that it, it fascinates me how we all you take one fermented product and we all um, use, it, use differently. it differently yeah. it's fascinating yes so on the back of that I had the skins and I was like well like I'm just going to treat it the same yeah and just use different ingredients to get the sort of same paste and this is it this is the only jar that exists I I don't have any pepper tamari I don't have any preserved orange skins. I don't necessarily have a recipe. I have an idea of. <laughs> I don't have the the ratios, but that's it. And that's what I like about it. This is why I struggled with um, doing production because I found the monotony of always making the same thing. Yeah, um, it's, um, that's that's the issue with, with doing products, isn't it? Mm, mm. And not being able to try and test and. And sort of delve into, um, I mean, R&D is what I love. This, you know, the whole thing. It was so crushing for me too. Um, Melanie from Spec London and I decided to start doing uh, products um, second lockdown, uh, beginning of last year. And we did markets together for a few uh, months. And we were lucky because we could create a couple of regular products and then for men's we were changing monthly and they were really happy we were doing it deli style, we could use um, local seasonal ingredients so work with our foraging skills and, um, and just change it and that really helped but if I had to make, you know, if, you know what customers are like, they That's expect, one thing, yeah, yeah, they expect the same thing every time. And they want their kimchi to taste always the same and they don't understand fizz if they never tasted fizzy kimchi and they don't understand nuanced flavors that come with longer fermentation, lacto-fermentation. And I think even in, in um, a lot of people who ferment from our community, you know, they 
they, they put their soul into it. They really love what they're doing. Um, they just sometimes have customers with all sorts of weird expectations. I was, I was speaking to James James Reed from King Kong that's Kimchi. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love his kimchi. He, was saying, so he gets so many emails of people saying, my, my kimchi's exploded on me. Is this normal? Can you buy me a new dress? Yeah. Can you, <laughs> Expect compensation. I need a new white shirt. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's getting people used to that idea that food can be alive and, mm. and that's okay. Mm. Mm. <laughs> like, and that you can't, depending on when you've done it and how you've done it, um, you know, it depends on the temperature and depends on how you're storing it and depends when your ingredients were grown, were they in cold storage or not. depends on so many factors of like how were they stored in that deli or in that shop or in a supermarket and that's why whenever you see anything on um, at ambient temperature it's not fermented anymore it can't survive yes you saw something <laughs> <laughs> yes. no it's, it's just a shame isn't it that we are we are like we're so used to eating dead food yes and that's the yes. all we eat is dead yes. food <laughs> absolutely ultra process deprived of any life and even if it's alive we put use by date or sell by date and we don't learn how to you know, I always have my granny, she had uh, on my mind when I think about molds growing on top of things, whether it's a cheese block or it's jam or anything sort of in jars. She used to have a cold pantry next to her. Um, it's a dream, right? We all just want to have a little separate room or instead of having under the stairs toilet, have a pantry under the stairs. <laughs> but she would just cook it up without thinking twice and then try it and that was it. And, you know, you just use it. Um, we people are so scared of seeing anything grow on their food, they immediately chuck it away. I'm yeah. sure that our food waste relies on that, and it's somehow entwined with this having to have use by date, and, and yet we don't educate people what they mean and how to use their senses to check their food and yeah. whether they are still okay to consume. Yeah, we don't use our senses. Even when cooking, you'd be like, just taste it. Mm, mm. Just taste it. <laughs> Smell it. Yeah, I do. I do wonder what they teach them in in food um, science, um, as they're supposed to all have them those lessons by by law. Very long time. I should tell you a story about that. Oh, sorry. So this is now I'm, I'm taking a spoon out of a jar that says mustard miso. My husband used to work for a company that had a, um, some kind of scandy name that translated as mustard. So a couple of years ago, I made. For Christmas, mustard miso for him to give away to his colleagues. Many of them didn't know what to do, so I put like on the side, and you can, you know, stuff your bird with it, and you can do all sorts of things. But um, it was very mustardy. Now, that has something else in it. I don't know if you saw what it's written, um, but don't, don't try to guess. Try to guess. It tastes quite nutty. Yeah, the mustard seeds haven't been really processed. I didn't blend them or anything. So this is about. Yeah, September 2020. The mustard is so, so beautiful. It's, it's Still not, there. yeah, but it's normally when you're tasting, like if you're tasting Dijon mustard, it's like a slap in the face. Yes, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but this is nice. It's like, mm. like it's stroking you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got a little secret. So this was just a little leftover jar. And it's got a little secret. Let me use the back of this spoon to try and get it out for you. Right. 
Any idea what that might be? No idea. Is it, is it wild garlic? No. It's magnolia flowers that I chopped into oh, little wow. bits and did like a misozuke in this. And I, I can taste gingery flavours. It's still pretty, un- I mean, it's, you know, added in like a month ago. Um, but they're, going, they're just going to disappear in this miso. There's no way I can, you know, just forage a leaf out because um, they're just going to blend with this thing. And you can taste the floral. Mm. It is very nutty. All right. Let me see if I can find another magnolia for you. So you did this with rice koji? or This was rice koji. Or maybe not. Let me check that. I have another just mustard. Oh. Yeah, okay. Now, now you tell me it's magnolia. I'm, I'm getting the, the floral. I'm getting the floral and the gingery notes. Mustard and fava bean. And it was rice koji. Yeah, this is what they all got, like a little... Um, nice. little present mm. handmade presents at best especially if they include coaching so recently I had um, I did this to about two months shoyu with parmesan leftover rinds that I keep in the freezer with some hazel defacted hazelnut flour and rice koji and I had loads of muromi left when I did it first time I made this mistake of like squeezing um, all the liquid out and then chucking the aroma. I don't know what I was thinking, uh, which I didn't. I didn't repeat that mistake this time. And so this is just moromi, the Parmesan hazel moromi that I dehydrated afterwards and pulverized. Wow. So I do have a collection of sprinkles. <laughs> sprinkles that go on popcorn mainly, but on all sorts of other things. Um, and... So all those rinds were really, they really softened yeah. in, in making the, the amino liquid. But then when I mixed some of that with dehydrated wild garlic, of course. <laughs> so um, you've got to have wild garlic and everything. We're doing a spring episode, so. <laughs> yeah. Wow, so that's Parmesan wild garlic powder. That's right. Yes. <laughs> that's incredible. And wild garlic, when it's when it's dehydrated, it's it's not that pungent anymore. It's it again. It's just I it's just, really delicate. Yeah, mm. the smell is unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It smell it. It's this yeah. parmesani. Um, smells like a cheese factory. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing that you can always, when you don't know what to do with something, you can always utilize it and use it for something completely different. And especially with moromas, as you know, you know, you can keep them and you can dehydrate them and you can sprinkle them, you can use them for veggie stocks, you can use them in braises, you can use them to coat fish in, if you're doing salt crusted anything, you can do all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, of course, a lot of people think fermented, all fermented foods are probiotic foods. And I don't know if you encountered that. And, um, through because I normally um, I got through fermentation through um, uh, my heritage obviously but I also trained as a microbiotic chef years and years ago I was actually oh, really? in broadcasting news gathering in BBC for years and when I left BBC I was like what am I going to do oh remember that training I did 
and microbiotic chef training had a lot micro, of... Micro, sorry, macrobiotic. Macro. 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 It relies on sort of Japanese food. It was brought in the, in the West, America and the UK, especially sort of Germany. UK was very big for microbiotics movement um, by these Japanese um, men. It turned into a big philosophy. It's a lot of like five elements, you know, looking at seasons and energy and energy of food and how you prepare it. And they always had this um, experiment, for example, with a carrot, like how carrot tastes and make you feel when it's raw, or how carrot tastes when you just steam it, and how does it make you feel? What happens when you roast it? What happens when you grate it? What happens when you puree it? But looking at just not just how it tastes, but also how it makes you feel afterwards, they were huge on that kind of how food makes you feel. Oh, wow. And obviously they had big thing on Japanese men's. Um, some tsukemono, not loads, but it's mainly salt-pressed, like quick salt-pressed things. Miso and soy sauce were always staple. Um, tofu was always eaten with something fermented, either miso or soy sauce, because of phytoestrogens and, you know, um, changing the food and therefore making it more digestible. Um, so I was just like, what am I going to do now that I am not institutionalized anymore? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. Yes, there was a lady who lived locally who was teaching fermentation. I was like, well, completely makes sense because of my heritage. So she inspired me to um, start doing that. Um, and I started teaching and I just, I just loved doing it. So I partnered with Brockwell Park Greenhouses. I don't know if you know that amazing yeah. biodynamic garden. Yeah, in yeah. Brockwell Park. yeah, I used to live on Denmark Hill. That that is such a such a crazy you know the the Brixton on one side it's Norwood on the other Hernhill it's just and the park that what they do and how they work with their volunteers and their ethics and their values in terms of growing food and educational values completely spoke to me and I was lucky to get an introduction and get away in, and I became their fermentation workshop leader so I've been teaching that for years now and that oh, wow. is my favorite job is teaching about fermentation. So yeah. I'm kind of almost like this little tick box in the sky of like, the more people I feel I enabled to take ownership of what they have in the fridge and or how they get their food and what they do with it, that is not necessarily just meal making, but it can include that. How to preserve it and how to use sour flavor became of sort of my mission. There was a, part, a, a point when I was also volunteering there uh, teaching kids how to ferment, which was more like... Um, a play session that all the educational series for kids are very playful. So I found a book on microbes and would read a story about microbes and when they come from. Then they wouldn't want to try anything that I got, like lacto-fermented carrots, and, uh, carrots or, or whatever I brought, uh, or water kefir. But we would take them out for a, a little stretch. We would do a little funny song from CBeebies and <laughs> then they would walk around the gardens and see how things are grown. Yeah. Most of them haven't. And this is, as you know, from, you know, you've been there, it's open to everyone. It's really, um, its aim is to include the whole community, regardless of your income or, um, you know, your jobs or where you live on which side of the road, etc. how big or small your house is. Um, and it was fascinating to see most of the time kids would just be, so engaged in picking their own food or picking it from fruit trees and going into the herb garden with little scissors and cutting a lemon verbena or some mints and things like that and coming back into the greenhouse 
they were given their knives. Now that's huge for kids. You give them ownership. You teach them how to do it safely. And when they when they cut their carrots to like to ferment them, they're more willing to try what's in those jars because they've made something that's supposed to resemble that. So they're like, ah, okay, so I want to really try that to see what it tastes like. And they were great sessions. They were just, they just, they were, you know, kids are hard work. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and you never know, you know, in the, the sort of the ages where anything from three to 14, I had teenagers coming to, you know, with headphones to learn how to do it, but they would just not really engage with you, but they would, they would do stuff. And it's so rewarding to do something like that. So for me, being able to, I almost have it like a mission to sort of, I just want to pass on the knowledge. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's, it's nobody. It's everybody's. We should all benefit from being able to enjoy our, you know, probiotic-rich foods, but also foods that are transformed through fermentation that are not necessarily alive anymore, and to know about those things and to have access to them. That's what's the sort of the most important thing that we should all be looking at. That is that forms the part of that kind of regenerative agriculture and the right to have fresh food um, yeah. for all of us, regardless of how much we can afford it or not. No, exactly. I was When I was speaking to Adam from Jar Kombucha, he mm -hmm. was saying he was so upset when he started because all of the companies he spoke to in America about how to brew kombucha, they were very standoffish, standoffish mm -hmm. and they didn't give him any information. And so now he is like trying to just share as much as he can because... It's just the information should not cost anything. No, and it's a very old way, old-fashioned way of thinking that the information you have belongs to you and you can monetize it somehow. Food should be everybody's right and how to preserve and, and, and getting the skills that were passed down generations. We don't have that anymore, unfortunately, because we're so cut off from our wider families or from our communities um, and we're all different people and we're busy in different ways. It's being able to um, being able to get to a place where that's shared freely, where you know you're not going to be expected to pay or give your kidney for that, or <laughs> like there is some kind of devil's contract that you have to sign because this belongs to all of us, and it it's as much as about empowering uh, that somebody to to better their diet or 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 their understanding of how food is grown or respect for the food that's grown or respect for um, keeping it and feeding the family in, in a different way, as much as it is to for, for you to sort of feel, well, that's great. That's just the number of people that, will, for example, I would get emails from after they change their lives, the way they eat and the, the, way they, um, the way they think of food and feeding their families and the way they think of food waste, for example. And a lot of people get like odd box or some box schemes or yeah. or get it from their local markets whether it's Pekka market and they don't know what to do with you know six I don't know red peppers that they got for a, for a pound let's say at a pound market um you can still preserve it and that's the joy of it yeah yeah, yeah I think that's such a, a skill that everybody should be taught mm. and it's not not part of curriculum for food um science whatever they call it nowadays no i think i learned how to make apple crumble in my oh well that's you know that's a great success though but <laughs> yeah it's that not to it's it's an underrated dessert for sure but there, there is such an, <laughs> there was an opportunity there in school to teach us something valuable mm -hmm. but even us as students we we didn't respect 
that mm. class for some reason mm. because it wasn't we didn't have an exam so <laughs> so you just had to learn and take the crumble home yeah we yeah. and that was it but mm. I don't know if we as students we didn't understand how valuable that like mm. if we'd studied or if there was information to learn about how to cook food mm. like that would have been the time to learn it that would have served us for the rest of our lives mm. but I didn't learn to cook until after university. (laughs) And that's a great shame because, like I mentioned earlier, the the food science should be part of everybody's curriculum till what, they're 14, something like that. So it's a very long time. And most schools and even primary schools, like you say, it's crumble or cupcakes. You go home with (laughs) sugar-laden cereal that's been drenched in chocolate or golden syrup and send kids home with. And they don't actually... There are some local schools that I know, for instance, they have top-notch kitchens, state-of-the-art equipment, but they still do the same sort of curriculum. It takes, it really takes that one or two individuals who are willing, because like you say, it's not regulated. So nobody's going to be checking what they're doing. If they're uh, working on their proteins this week, there's ways of entwining and kind of bringing in misos and, you know, and or different sort of, um, or cured meats or whatever it is. It's, we can really teach a whole generation about food. We're lucky in London growing up with so many different languages and so many different cultures and um, we could be utilising that here. We're not. Yeah. And this is what confuses me completely because we have an opportunity to teach kids not just how to grow and how to cook crumble but how to make other stuff and share it because sharing is really, really a big part of it. None of these things have been done by one solitary person. No. Whether it's killing a pig or it's making misa, it's always communities involved. And they have that. They have school communities that can be involved. And I know there are some prized initiatives and um, around the country that are doing some marvelous things, but we need to do more. It's almost like we all have our own community we should be sort of looking at and figuring out how we could be volunteering and sharing our skills with. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but just... like somebody said, you can't, you know, this is it's not about monetizing this. Of course, for a lot of people, this is also a source of income and there's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't mean you, you can't do the other thing if you're doing, if you're making money from it as well. No, exactly. Mm. Yeah, that's the nice thing about, because I, I share all of my Misa recipes on online. And that's right. That's yeah. not like... Yeah, somebody else could make the same miso, but <laughs> it wouldn't be me doing it. So there's no, yeah, our idea of competition is completely backwards. Yes. The, yes. the fact that we have to close the doors in order to, mm. rather than, like the market is so big and mm. the demand is abundant. Absolutely. And it's, what confuses me also, it's in this day and age when everything is online and everything is open source. What are we trying to protect? Yeah. How are, we, how are we speaking to this new generation that is actually growing up in a different way and, and things, think things should be open source mm-hmm. and they should have access to it. So it's our, our sort of mindsets that need to change. Yeah. Let me think of what else I can feed you. Um, <laughs> why don't you try this? This was, um, this was the enzymatic one. I call it Balcamisa. We do, I should first show you, we... The way Italians sun-dry their tomatoes, south of Serbia sun-dries its peppers. And this is what they look like. 
this is my mum brought them. So they're sun-dried, again, particular type of pepper that are dried in the sun, um, then be seeded, you cut the top off, and then just for storage purposes, you flatten them in bundles of 10. That's how many you would make for lunch. Um, and then keep them in your freezer. So I used some of those sun-dried peppers that were in my freezer that I rehydrated in some warm water with, I call it enzymatic miso, but only because, here you can try it, because I kept it at 50-something degrees for a week. Oh, I see. And so that you've done has... like 50-50 of the peppers to koji or...? Um, so it was peppers, walnuts, and fresh walnuts and not defatted. Wow. And barley koji. And mm. 6% salt. Mm. Wow. It's very yummy. And then you, it is, it's like... You need to say that word. I love that on your nutty. Instagram post. Mm. <laughs> nutty, jammy. Do you want some more? Mm. And so you held this at 60 for like a week? Yes, for about a week. Um, and so, so unctuous, yeah. So there is a little jar that I put aside that I want wanted to ferment. So I called it... This was supposed to be like a, this is like a co collaboration between me and there's the Bulgarian chef um, who did Doma Bar in Margate, Alexander. He did um, a stint at um, a, a month in Soho House in Shoreditch, Doma Bar. He's an excellent Balkan. I mean, he's just so clever. So we thought we talked a lot about Koji and doing different misos that are kind of from the Balkans. And this is the one we came up with. So it was made, yeah, 6% you have here. Okay. 130 grams peppers, 150 walnuts, and 300 barley koji, 6% salt. So this is, this should be ready now to try. You can take it out. I'm kind of still fermenting it. But this is at room temperature the way it's supposed to be. Mm. Let's see how different that is. And it's been going for how long, sorry? January. So it's, um, no, so three months. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's slightly... It's different. It's got a um, different depth of flavour, Yeah. I find. Um, but I might keep it for a little bit longer. It's the tiniest jar ever. <laughs> Just to try to see what's That, com that combination is amazing, though, the nuts and the peppers and the, mm. and the koji. Mm. And because sun-dried did, they concentrate the peppery flavors. Yeah. And when you rehydrate them, they're still, they're the, the thick pepper skin peppers. Um, that I, ca I, can't, I can't find in this country. I just can't. They're just they grown differently. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I think they, they do. They do make that jam. Jam. <laughs> mm. It would be interesting to sort of maybe mix it even with some kaimak or with some sour cream and as a dip and mm. Mm. so yeah i mean yeah i will um let's i'm gonna stop the recording here because we've gone we've gone way over an hour oh have we <laughs> but, oh no um, really okay um but we will continue our breakfast regardless yeah absolutely <laughs> It was such um, a pleasure to have you and to feed you all these things. It was. Um, thank you so much for having me in your home. This is this has been incredible. So eye-opening. Amazing. Um, and now I can hear about your trip to Belgrade. <laughs> Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.